reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. You know, every generation of uh, humanity has had their challenges. It uh, comes at us and we don't know what to expect and then we see how the generation will handle it. And one of the things I don't think we have talked enough about in our day is the challenge that has become ours in really that we have the ability that nobody's ever had before, that we can rate and review absolutely everything. Uh, I thought about it the other day when I was using an app on my phone that I use quite regularly, and then it uh, did that thing that it uh, does all the time. Of It pops up and it says, would you rate our app? Do you love our app? And would you, would you rate it? And I thought to myself, well, love's a pretty strong word. I don't know that I, I, I love it. I'm, I'm not concerned about the app. I don't think about it when it's not around. But I, I, did, I did rate it. And, you know, in rating kind of things, you have all kinds of ways you can do it. You know, if somebody posts on Facebook and you're their friend, you feel like you have to give them a thumbs up or some kind of rating. You know, there's thumbs up and there's hearts. And they even have a hug emoji, which I have never, ever chosen to use for anything. Uh, and it's not just for, for things that people post. Is for things that you buy, or a restaurant you go to, or a store, or people that you're around. You can just leave a comment about anything, review everything, and it seems like people want it. And everything in our world is open for everybody's opinion about everything at every moment. And I don't know if you uh, know this or not, but churches get rated too at least in the circles it gets sent to me that some of you think I need to see. <laughs> and if I had a word to describe the challenge and what it's done to our generation, if I had a word to describe what this rate review kind of thing has done to us, the word would be divided. This rate review thing that we all can have our opinion on everything and everybody needs to hear our opinion, uh, it's, it's created deep, deep, deep divisions in the human race. I mean, we're in our react to everything, rate everything, thumbs up, thumbs down, you know, where everybody needs to hear my opinion. And particularly over the last couple of years where we've had the challenges of pandemics and racial tensions and inflation and gas prices and politics and wars and shootings and everything, where everybody seems to think that everybody needs to know what they think about everything, the word is, we're divided. We just can't seem to stay together. 
as I was thinking about this, I think about the challenge of generations. I think about my father's generation. My dad was almost 41 when I was born, so he was really a whole nother generation from me. Uh, he was the World War II generation. In fact, he turned 19 when we first went into the war. And as I'm preparing for this message, it's around the 78th anniversary, you know, of, of D-Day. And I think about the challenges of that generation, and when a big challenge came up, a challenge that people had to come together instead of rating things, I mean, people in that, I mean, you go back and look at history, they didn't agree with every decision that the leaders make. By far, they did not agree. But when the challenge came for that generation to step up, they united not only in our nation, but allies from around the world to do away with a great evil, they thought. They came together instead of dividing in our day, instead of challenges uniting us, every challenge because we can rate and review, and because everybody needs to hear everybody's opinion, we divide over everything. I mean, think about the things that are divided us. We divide over CNN or Fox News, or about we divided over vaccines or mass mandates. We divided over race. We divided over guns. We, we divided over chicken sandwiches, you know, whether it was Popeyes or, or, or it was Chick-fil-A. I survived the great chicken war of 2020. <laughs> you know, in a, in a world where you can instantly rate everything, criticize anything, cancel anybody, put anybody down, where national politics come into local elections to put money into something that when you get elected, you don't even get paid for. I mean, in our world, it's become normal for people to not just have opinions, but we've become, we've begun to be against people. I don't just have an opinion about an object or an opinion about a kind of issue. I'm opposed to those people. And it's become normal even in the community of Jesus. To be against people which brings me to the last session in our study of the book of John where John's telling us about the life of Jesus we've been learning from him almost six months now and we come to the end of this and the close of our study is this great prayer that we've watched over the last three weeks is Jesus first prays for himself that he'll be glorified that the father will be glorified in him and then we heard last week that he prayed for those disciples that were, were with him, that they would be in the world, but they would not be of it, that they would present another kingdom outside of the kingdom of this world. And today, we see his prayer, well, for us. In the last moments before Jesus is going to go to the cross, before he goes to the garden and he prays to his father that maybe he won't have to go to the cross, what's on his mind is you and it's me and I I know you just heard this read but I I want to I want to point one verse out to you again Jesus says my prayer is not for them alone not just for my disciples this is a transition I've been praying for these people that are standing with me now but my prayer is not for them I pray for all of those who will believe in me through their message that's me and you, if you're a follower of Christ. 
I'm praying for every future believer. Every person who calls the church the community that they're committed to. Well, the question is, of course, and you already heard it, so you already know this, what would Jesus pray for us? I mean, if Jesus were going to pray for us now through the centuries, now 2,000 years later, what would Jesus pray? What would be so important? So he says, I mean, is he going to pray for grit? Is he going to pray that we be bold? Is he going to pray that we have courage? He says, here it is. My prayer, my prayer for them is that all of them, what's, what's the word after that? My prayer is that all of them would be one. Say that together with me again. My prayer is they would be one. Now, Jesus says after that, so that the world would believe that God has sent me. I would pray that instead of the challenge of our generation that would divide us over everything, including chicken, that we would be so easily duped that we'd fight over everything. That we would be one, and the stakes, he says, are so that people would believe that God sent me. Notice, he doesn't say the world's going to believe because of our political perspective or we get something voted in or we get something voted out. Jesus doesn't say the world believe because we make great social memes about little Bible verses that nobody really understands or your willingness to stand up for your country. No, Jesus doesn't say any of that. I think his thoughts are, God, there's going to be all kinds of attacks and there's going to be all kinds of things that are come across the generations of people who follow me. There are going to be pandemics. There are going to be different kinds of wars. There are going to be all kinds of things coming at these people. And before I come back, I want to keep my followers one. Bond them together in love because when they are one, in spite of their differences, which everybody can see their difference, different races, different backgrounds, different ages, when people can see that people are one in spite of all of that, then people say to themselves, only God does that. When people come together, and it's not politics that bring them together, it's not race that brings them together, it's not their affinity for each other, when they get bonded together around that, then people would believe when they say, I follow Jesus, that Jesus must be from God. That's what Jesus prayed, and here's something that might surprise you. Research in our generation says that that's what our generation is, is looking for. In 2015, the Barner Research Group did a did a project to find out why so many people were leaving the Western church. Why are so many people uh, done with the Western church? And what would make people in our country more interested in Christianity? And one of the top three answers that people who don't go to church said would make me more interested in Christianity is if Christians actually work together. If Christians would work together, I might be more interested. Now, just, just let that think in, think in for a moment. People who want nothing to do with Jesus because they don't think we like each other. Why is that so important to them? Well, I think it might be because when they hear a group of people going out saying God loves you, but you yourself can't seem to love the other people who you say God loves, it doesn't make any sense to anybody. When you say God loves people, but you can't even love the other people that say they follow the same guy you follow, they just think it's all a fraud. Maybe they have a hard time with the love of God and they can't take it seriously 
because it doesn't seem like you take it all that seriously. It seems as you take your personal preferences more seriously than you take that seriously. Uh, see, I think, I think the world is sick and tired of hearing us talk about the love of Jesus. What they want to see is they want to see the love of Jesus in us. Jesus said, when we are one, then they will believe. Now, if Jesus is right, which it sounds stupid to act like he might not be, because I believe Jesus is right about everything. I mean, that's what we say around here. He's the Lord, so he must be right about everything. If Jesus is right, then this is the most vital part of the book of John. If Jesus is right, then maybe your kids don't follow Jesus because we screwed this up. And maybe it's right because our generations are falling away because we can't be one. Then this is ultimately important. You know who I think believes Jesus is right? Our enemy for sure believes he's right. That's why we are so divided, because he dupes us into thinking everything's more important than this. He thinks Jesus knows this is the one keystone, and so he just divides us. And the embarrassing reality is the enemy has been winning on this front for a long, long, long time. Followers of Jesus have a history of fighting and fussing and dividing. And sometimes entire churches split and divide. One of the things I've been thankful for for our 32 years of a church since we started this 32 years ago We've never had a major split. Oh, people have left and, and, and told me why. And I get some of the reasons it makes sense to me. But often followers of Jesus, right in the midst of a church, form a little block and they make a point and everybody walks off and generally they form a church called Harmony or Unity. The group that leaves is almost always Harmony or Unity or their love whatever church. But that's never had happened here. Jesus prayed on the final night that his disciples that his followers be one, just as the Father was one, so the world would believe. That was Jesus' prayer, and it continues to be my prayer for our church, but it needs to be, it needs to be your prayer as well. It needs to be all of our prayer. So I'm going to take a moment, and I'm going to ask us to actually pray that we would actually focus on this and that God would help us to be united and devoted to each other so that the world could see the love and glory of Jesus. So I've asked Jason to come back and lead us in that prayer time. Jason, come on up. So in your Bible, there is a history of the very first churches that were ever started. And it was just after Jesus was resurrected and he returned to the Father. And there's a description written about this early church. And it says they were one in heart and mind. And then there's an earlier description, and it described what that looked like in detail. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property, possessions, 
to give to anyone who had a need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to that number daily those who were being saved. See that last sentence? Daily, people were coming, being saved, added into this community. Remember what Jesus said? He said, through the unity of the church, through our devotion to one another, that's how the world would come to trust in Jesus. And it happened. This might seem like a foreign thing to us, but to that early church, just normal. It was their reality. So before we move on, I want us as a, as a collective body of believers to take this description of the early church and use it to invite God to show us where we, members of Community Christian, how can we be more united to one another? So I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes a silence to do that, and here's how it'll go. You're going to see on the screen these descriptions broken up into statements of what this early church did. And then I want you to take these moments of quiet, and I want you to ask God, say, God, reveal to me, where is it that I need to exhibit that kind of unity? Read through that list, and if God brings anything to your mind, why don't you and him just talk about it? So let's take a couple minutes, and let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we join Jesus in his prayer for unity. Teach us what it means to be devoted to one another in love. And God, would you remove any distraction, any hindrance that might be keeping us from loving one another the way you have loved us? Would you knit together our hearts and our lives so that we might be one? Just like you, Father, Son, and Spirit are one. And God, may Community Christian Church, may this church be a place where we are so united, we are so devoted that when others would see us and our love for each other, they would just look at you and be drawn toward you. 
But we pray this not just for this church, Community Christian. We pray it for all the believers in this county. We pray it for the believers in our nation and God, even our world. May we learn to all be united so that the kingdom of God would come in power and in love. In the name of Jesus, we pray this prayer. Amen. When you read the letters in the New Testament written by the men following Jesus, the enemy is already at work to divide the church. A follower of Jesus named Paul wrote to a church he started in the city of Corinth. And the first major section of the letter is all about unity. Paul begins the letter by saying, I appeal to you, or I'm pleading with you, I'm begging you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no division. The Greek word here for divisions is schisma, and it means to split or tear apart, but that you will be perfectly united in mind and thought. Paul tells us why he's having to write this. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Someone in the church has told Paul there are some big splits happening in the church in Corinth. There are quarrelsome people tearing apart this church, but that didn't end in Corinth. For 2,000 years, churches have had to deal with quarrelsome people. Sometimes it comes in the form of gossip or false rumors. Sometimes it comes in the form of criticism with people sitting back on the sidelines and they mumble and complain. Sometimes it comes in the form of anonymous letters or emails. They don't have the courage to discuss things openly and so they do their damage in secret. And here's the sad thing. Often some of the most quarrelsome followers of Jesus are those who are the most biblically aware. Sometimes those with the best grasp of the Bible are often the most divisive. They become like spiritual pit bulls chewing up and spitting out others in the name of standing for the truth. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote to a young apprentice of his named Timothy and said, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Now, don't hear this as Jesus or Paul calling us to uniformity. The goal is not for all of us to think alike on every issue or to look or dress alike. It's not uniformity, but unity. Believe it or not, you can be united with someone and not always agree with them. It's called being married. My husband and I may disagree and even argue, but we love each other and so we choose to live in harmony most days. I love music and great music isn't made by everyone playing the same notes. It's when the diversity of notes play in harmony with each other and harmony isn't about singing the same note. It's about singing the same song in the same key and being blended together. But what happens when everyone goes rogue and sings in a different key or but sings a totally different song at the same time? It's chaos. But when people set aside their egos and their differences and they choose to sing and play together for the sake of a greater song than they could ever create on their own, when they sing in harmony, something amazing happens.
So I want to do something that I used to do in a class uh, 30 years ago when we started this church to try to get deep into us that we might not be the same, but that we should be together. I teach a class called 101, and in that class, I bring together and try to point out to everybody that even though we had different spiritual backgrounds, uh, we could be united. And it's one of the things I've loved about our church uh, for the last uh, 32 years. Because when the come together in spite of our spiritual differences, the differences fade away as long as we keep our focus on Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to do something, and you're going to have to participate out loud, which I know is like the worst thing ever for any of you, uh, for some of you. Uh, what I want to do is I want you, I'm going to call out a different bunch of different spiritual backgrounds. And if you don't have any spiritual background, which is often true of community Christian, like if you were atheist or uh, you're agnostic when you first came here, that's okay. Uh, you can, when I just say none, uh, you just say that back out loud. But if I say like Methodist, what I want you to say is I want you to say Methodist. Y'all got it? Everybody's already got it? So let's just start easy for this part of the country. How about the Baptist in the room? You just say Baptist back to me, okay? Baptist. Okay, I think you all can do better. Generally, the Baptists are like really proud of being Baptist. All right, here we go. Baptist. All right, how about the Methodists? Oh, they're a little more proud than you Baptist people. I'll just say. All right, how about Lutheran? All right, Pentecostal. Church of Christ. Christian church. How about Catholic? How about none? All right. Now, what I want you to do here is, and if I didn't get to all of yours, that's okay. When I count to three in a minute, whatever your background is, I just want you to say that out loud as loud as you can, okay? Whatever your background is, when I say one, two, three, you say it out loud. One, two, three. Yeah, that's the picture of disharmony, of discord. Now, when I count to three, I want you all to say the name Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus. Okay, let's say it one more time. One, two, three. Jesus. A little softer. One, two, three. Jesus. See, the church has daunting kind of challenges coming at us. And we stand proud of something that actually divides us. We have no ground to stand on. But when we stand in the name of Jesus, Jesus gives us a firm foundation. And that was his prayer, that we would be one. How do we do that? I mean, if the challenge of our generation is that the enemy is working hard in our world for us to rate and review and everybody's opinion matters and we all have to divide, if the enemy is working hard, how do we as followers of Jesus stand firm together? Well, I want to suggest to you before I leave that uh, part of this, again, I want to go back to the roots of our church and really the roots of me becoming a Christian. When I first became a Christian and I went to seminary. One of the things that got taught to me is this simple statement. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. And in that class I was just talking about, that's what I would teach. It's been a part of our statement of faith around here for the last 32 years, that in essentials, we're going to have 
unity. In non-essentials, we're going to offer liberty, and in all things, we're going to have love. Well, you have to start with, so what are the essentials? What are the essentials that we're going to be unified around? What are the essentials that we're going to ask everybody to stand with us and one on? Well, there are things like Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God, about what he said about himself, about what he taught us about God, about his resurrection, about his death and resurrection and what, accomplished, uh, what was accomplished in that on the cross for us, about his resurrection, about our future resurrection, his continued life in us in the Holy Spirit and the mission that he's given us in the world. In brief, those are the essentials. It's Jesus, what he taught us about God, what he said happened in his life on the cross when he gave his life for us and his resurrection and the mission that he's given us to go into the world and to love everybody in his name. We're united in those things around here. Then in non-essentials, we offer lots of freedom. And you can have freedom around all kinds of things. So what are non-essentials? Well, music. And what kind of music? And what happens in the worship service? And what kind of clothes do people wear? And what kind of... What do you think about the end times? And what do you do with speaking in tongues? And how long did it literally take to create the world? Or can you be baptized in a Speedo? And of course the answer is yes, but nobody wants to see it. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of non-essential things that the church has divided over the years, and we cannot allow them to divide us. Like most of the things that, frankly, Christians in our world that I would agree with on the essentials are arguing about on, in every forum these days. And then finally it says, and all things love. And will you notice that all things covers how we handle both essentials and non-essentials? That the way I talk about things that really, really matter that, we, that we're united on, that has to be covered in love. And the way I handle non-essentials, that has to be covered in love. Because after all, Jesus said in the book of John, we've already looked at it, that the way people will know we're disciples is, is how we love one another. This unity thing that he's praying for. The question I have most often these days when people come to me, I mean, I can't tell you how many people, in fact, some of you sitting in this room that over the last couple of years of our enemy dividing people, some of you can't, and I'm not saying it's your fault, you don't even talk to your children anymore because of some non-essential thing that's got spun way up and, and you can't be with them anymore. And people will say, how do you love people that you disagree so much with? And, of course, the answer is the same way God loves you. You think God agrees with you on everything? I mean, if I took a poll right now, do you think there's one thing in your life that Jesus might have a problem with? Do you think he loves you? Un unconditionally, he loves you. He's for you. So how do love is always, always, always in spite of. In marriage, in parenting, with friends, we love always in spite of something where we don't agree. It's always that way. I, I love what God's done in Community Christian over the last 30 years, and I'm thankful that we haven't any, had any major splits. But I've already told you, the last year, the last two years have been the hardest two years. I mean, they've been a unique time in dealing with disagreements. And not just in our congregation. I mean, I know we've gone from a church with a 
campuses, other places, and, and people have disagreed over all kinds of things, but it's not just us. This is a, a nationwide problem in churches where people are leaving fellowships that they've been a part of for decades. But you know why they're not leaving? Nobody's leaving because the church stopped believing Jesus was the Son of God. They're leaving over non-essential things like whether you wear a mask or not, or whether the church said you had to wear a mask, or whether the church took a position on what the government had said about something. They split over whether or not, in their mind, the pastor said too much or too little about the racial issues that were going on in our country. And so before I go on, I just want to say to those of you who were here this morning as part of Community Christian, I want to thank you for holding us together. Not because I think you agree with me. Oh, I know you don't. I'm thankful in the midst of this pandemic that you have loved God and this church in spite of, because that's the way love is. And I'll just tell you, I love that in the midst of our, this pandemic over the last two years, God has made us more diverse, more diverse racially, more diverse economically, more diverse politically, more diverse in all generations. We have just a great more deal of diversity than we did two years ago, even though we were much larger. And if we can learn to love each other in spite of our differences and lean into the diversity that God has created in the midst of the disunity that's happening in our world, we can show our divided world something different that only God can produce. Love in the midst of diversity. It's why constantly, and our staff is constantly saying to you, hey, you need to step out of groups of people that you've known forever who look just like you and talk just like you and think like you, and you've got to move towards some people who are different from you. You've got to talk to them and become friends with them. If you stay isolated in echo chambers or just your friends and your age and your race and your friends, we don't look any different than all the world that's arguing over that kind of stuff. If we're going to rise and meet the daunting challenge that is our generation's challenge, we're going to have to practice this statement. In essentials, we have unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, we love in everything. Secondly, here's something else I want to make clear to you. Unity won't happen unless you and I saturate ourselves with grace and we offer it freely, even to the point that other people think we were too free with it. Because if we don't offer grace to people, here's, I don't know if you know this or not, other people are often wrong. All of y'all are wrong most of the time when I talk to you. But the only way you're going to be united with them is you must offer grace. In our culture, our culture, something else that's happened in our generation is we created this whole other culture. It's called cancel culture, and people are constantly writing each other off. And shame and guilt that used to be a part of really hardline churches, it's become a part of cancel culture, that people pour shame and guilt. The benefit of cancel culture in our world is that we are a part of cross-culture and love is what rules in cross-culture. And a world that's got guilt and shame being piled on them at every turn, love will win if we will be grace-givers and unity-builders and forgiveness-extenders. And when we extend 
around the grace and truth of Jesus, when we offer people love that they know is not because we're like them, the church becomes unstoppable. But when we divide, when we refuse to forgive, Paul says we bite and devour each other. And we become weak and inoffensive, uh, effective. Third, and I'll be done with this, we need to unite against a common enemy. And unless you think a common enemy is some other church that's nearby, we are not enemies with any other church in this county. They are our brothers and sisters. They are people that we pray for and hope for. I think in our day and time, we've forgotten who the real enemy is. The enemy is not people inside of the church that think differently than I do and look differently than I do. The enemy is not the church down the street or the people who vote differently than I am. The enemy is one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus called him the Satan, Lucifer, the prince of darkness, the fathers of lies, and he only has one goal. It's to steal your peace and to take away the good in your life and to divide the people that God wants united. So when you feel yourself being divided, know that it's the enemy doing it and stand and, and go the other way. Lean in the other direction. So not only must we unite against the common enemy, we have to unite around our shared mission. And it is that we want everybody to know that Jesus is for them. That God has made a way that he's no longer reacting to people on the basis of their sins, but on the basis of what they do with Jesus. And because we have unity and mission, we can move forward and people will see the love of God's available because we're making visible to them that we love each other. Let's be of one heart and mind and fulfill the prayer of Jesus. And so I'd invite you, again, we've said it a number of times here that church is not a place you come and get content so you can consume and you become a little smarter about what Jesus said. It's a community that you belong to. And we would love to have you belong to our community. And if you haven't taken steps beyond just sitting in these rows, we'd encourage you to do that by stopping by our Next Step Center on the way out today. I'd love to talk to you. I'll end by saying this. I don't know of a more powerful symbol of our unity than when we come together around the communion table we take the Lord's Supper together. So when you came in, you were giving emblems like this. If you didn't get some, they're right outside these two exit doors on the side, and you can grab them off a table there. And if you're with us today and you're not comfortable taking communion with us, that's okay. You don't have to fake anything here, but we aren't going to fake either. This is an important part for us of remembering Jesus and what he's done for us. Today, I, I want to note that and we come to this table, we have diverse backgrounds, diverse ages, diverse skin tones, and there are introverts and extroverts, there are political conservatives and there are liberals all in this room. Ain't that a good thing? And in this moment, we do something dramatic and radical. We defy the global tide of division that is racking our generation. And we come together as one body around the body and blood of Jesus. That's why it's called communion, common union. Because we commune together. And when you eat and drink, you declare the commitment 
to truly love Jesus and truly love the body of Christ. We are closer allies to you than people who agree with you politically, than people you work with, people in your ethnic group. We are your family. So Jesus looked at his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it. So would you take your bread now? You just peel off that top little portion if you've not done this before. He said, this is my body. Take and eat and remember me. Let's eat this together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. And as we drink in unison today, let's do it as a statement of our commitment to bring the unity that Jesus prayed for. He asked his Father to make us one. Let's remember him together. Would you bow your heads? I want to write, recite a scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote at the end of Romans 15. This will be my prayer. May our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with all of us. Then we will be a choir, not our voices only, but our lives singing in harmony and a stunning anthem to God the Father and our Master Jesus. So reach out. Welcome one another to God's glory. Jesus did it. Now you do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.